the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> the Agostino Zinger show with I your host Agostino Zinger and this is episode number episode number sorry 652 I'm starting over my words even though I'm drinking a massive 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 jar of cold brew coffee as you can see via the camera if you're not watching via the camera you listen via the audio you'll just hear the clink that is a coffee that I'm drinking and it's absolutely tasty absolutely scrumptious and it's getting me going where I need to be but for whatever reason I couldn't get my words out because sometimes I can be a little bit, you know, quote unquote, R-worded. But I'm happy to be back here, back in the hot seat with you guys again. And I hope you are doing well wherever this pod may find you. I hope you are doing splendid. I've had a little bit of a, not a realisation, but I've come to some level of acceptance. I think I had a bit of a heavy session in the gym the other day. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? I actually don't mind these guys who just like sit on machines and occupy them and be on their phone all day, checking social media, being on YouTube, responding back to text messages, trying to line up booty calls, whatever they're doing on there or just playing computer games on their mobile phones, whatever it is they're doing, I kind of don't mind it. There was a part of me before they used to get really annoyed with people just occupying spaces and just taking up room and not doing workouts by being on their phone. But having thought about it, especially when you think about safe spaces, especially for men like myself, right? Hetero men. There's not many safe spaces out there where you can just be a guy, grunt, you know, walk around with your chest up and essentially be your fully realized alpha toxic male self. There's not many places, not very platforms that really encourage that. You know, you kind of talk to kind of hide, to kind of cower away in the corner. But at least when you're in a gym somewhere, hunched over on the machine, looking at your smartphone, right? And every time someone asks you, hey, can I use it? You're like, yeah, no, two minutes, two sets, two sets. That's actually good. You know, that's actually good for the male species. That actually um, gives us a place to kind of occupy in the world, to feel like we're somewhat useful. That's the one thing a man doesn't want. A man never wants to feel non-useful. A man wants to always feel useful. And when you're sitting down on the phone in the gym, you feel useful. You feel like you have a purpose because you got up from your house to go to the gym in the first place. So it's great. And I realise also in my area, because I live in a hood and I live in a kind of, you know, rough part of town, aka ends, what I realise is that when I was younger, I used to always go to the library. Like I used to be in a library all the time, you know, hashtag nerd alert, but just I used to love just going to the library. I'd be reading books, I'd be checking out, you know, encyclopedias, um, you know, 
uh, comic books if, if sometimes would be there newspapers sports magazines and whatnot I just like to be in there all the time and part of the reason was also because they had the internet right so you could use the the flipping um, shared computers there I think you had sessions up to like two hours and then you have to have a break in between you wait around and then jump on another computer again it was quite fun to do that do a bit of hacking jump on there log on with the admin stuff mess things around put signs and words up on the flipping you know LED screens around the library and whatnot it was quite fun to mess about but for the most part i did it all or we used to do it all back in the day just to kind of occupy time because there was nothing else to do you couldn't really go to people's houses that much you know staying outdoors kind of got boring afterwards especially if you weren't playing football or anything so if you weren't someone to just hang out that wasn't at home you just go to the library and be there usually until it closed they literally have to kick you out and then you finally go and i think the adult version of that especially in ends is to go to the gym that's the adult version of the same thing just to sit on your phone in the gym and just be staring into the void whether it's in your phone whether it's other people it's pretty interesting but i'd imagine for the opposite sex who are working out especially you know because a lot of girls find especially girls that kind of go to the gym new or kind of new to gym life and whatnot imagine how awkward imagine how uncomfortable it must make them feel when they're sat in a gym no, when they're working out in the gym for the first time and they see all these guys just on their phone or guys that look like they're staring at them but they're not really because guys do that a lot i know i do you just stare off into the distance you're not really looking at anybody you're just kind of you know moving your eyes around the space that you're in but i imagine i can understand how weird it must be and how awkward it must feel for a girl when it's the first time you've been to a gym and you go in there and it's just like an army of guys on disney on machines staring out into the void staring at you sometimes you must be like oh Oh my days oh my days you know <laughs> what's going on here so i could definitely understand how that happens to some people but hey what can you do what can you do apart from that all things have been good on my end um i can't really complain i don't really have many um outgoing occasions planned there is a little spicy open deck session happening on friday which i'll probably end up going to it's at this club called studio 29 no is it studio 924 or something like that it doesn't matter i know where it is it's, it's just quite near where i live and they're having this kind of open decks kind of you know competition thing sort of like an sort of like an x-factor audition where you go and i think there's like six slots for 45 minutes each and you get opportunity to basically play um and if you're impressed you can definitely then you end up getting booked for a party they've got coming up and i might end up doing it you know at the moment i'm not really promoting i'm not really putting myself out there to kind of get booked in place i'm not really sending people mixes or emailing clubs and stuff but of course, of course if stuff comes over my kind of inbox i'll definitely take it but it's be an opportunity just to kind of get around those guys and just see what the vibe is see what people are saying so i may actually try my hand at that and also the good thing about it is that it's house so i can maybe mix things up a bit because you know i usually play techno i usually play a lot of disco stuff but it's been a long time since i played like a proper house set so i'm gonna get all that stuff ready put together a 45 minute mix for myself just for myself self-enjoyment and then just see what the vibe is saying in it and kind of see if i can kind of um go out there and impress some people and if not at least i get an opportunity to play on a sound system you know that's loud and whatnot semi in the sore club and whatnot and have a bit of fun so that's what i'm looking forward to that one but apart from that i'm keeping it rather clean rather tight no messing about and all that malarkey so it should be pretty decent but anyway enough about me let's jump into some topics of the day that i thought were interesting you know in a cultural commentary type of way number one thing i want to quickly mention this is twofold number one was this picture that i recently saw of pharrell williams at the louis vuitton show 
and this was at the women's show, right? The, the show which is co-led by, sorry, which is um, directed by um, Nicholas Gasquier, famously of Balenciaga, of Prior, is now a Louis Vuitton women's. And obviously Pharrell was there to kind of support his quote-unquote label mate. And he was dressed to the nines, right? And he had this amazing, I'm not too sure if it's as part of his up-and-coming collection, but he had an amazing, an amazing M65 um, Louis Vuitton version that's sort of made in this weird velvet plush plush velvety type material in this lovely olive green with the Louis Vuitton emblem kind of in, um, what you call it, uh, stowed in to the top of it. And then you've got this really nice collar that looks like it's pile, like white mink or something. I don't know if this, like a, is that, if this is meant to be a Dalmatian print or just just buttons on it. But this is a really interesting and luxurious way to kind of update a really, a kind of a staple item in most guys' wardrobe to have like an M65. I know I've got a few of them and they're usually, you know, um, jacket types that a lot of brands kind of use as basis to kind of work from and whatnot um over the years but to take this and kind of you know do it in a Louis Vuitton type of fashion is really really nice so I'm curious to know if this is part of his new collection he's also been wearing this hat um that he's been wearing this little this little Joe Rogan rascal hat he's got on he's been having that for a while and it's obviously Louis Vuitton printed also and then I'm not too sure about the jeans or the trainers but they maybe are maybe part of his new collection I'm not really too sure he's wearing a lot of these kind of bootcut style jeans going forward so this might be a sneak peek of what we might see Pharrell be presenting when he eventually does debut for Louis Vuitton men's I think in June or July I'm not really too sure I forgot which one it was but this is twofold the other thing I was thinking about this was this. He's starting to look his age now. And this is a picture of um, Pharrell Williams at the same, I think this is at the after party for the same event, I'm pretty sure. And he's standing next to Zendaya. And obviously Zendaya looks fantastic in what she's got on. But if you go, if you go closer to Pharrell, in the face especially, he's starting to look his age. And I'm not too sure if this is to do with the fact that he's got stress now because I said before part of the reason why I'm not sold on Pharrell maybe doing a good job at Louis Vuitton men's is that number one I think he's more of a tastemaker than he is a designer and I think that's not a bad thing but I just think going from being able to have good taste and be able to buy cool and interesting things is one thing and then you know and then going to design a whole collection is another thing and I also think his strength for my in my opinion I think his one strength that he has in design is that most of the stuff he's done has really been small it's been like capsule collections I think of the stuff that he did with um with uh with Montclair the bulletproof vest I think even stuff that he did early on with building the boys club which eventually which at the start was kind of co-founded by him Nico and skating it wasn't only him doing building the boys club which is why the early versions of building the boys club and the ice cream shoes were so good compared to what we see now because he doesn't have that sort of help anymore but those things were really nice and other little things he's done he's done little collaborations here and there little capsule collections um those things have been really good I think so but whenever he's been asked to build out a full line it's kind of flattered to deceive in my opinion so it's going to be a lot to take somebody that's a tastemaker and that's good at doing collaborations to suddenly fill out an entire um, collection of clothes which is going to be probably over 50 looks maybe more items in the shop maybe more bags and accessories and whatnot it's gonna be crazy so I was thinking looking at this picture this may be evidence of how stressed he must be to do this job or it just might be him just getting older and the years just kind of finally cracking because for the longest time, Pharrell's looked flipping 25, right? For basically the last 15 years. And sometimes, you know, father time just does catch up on you. But it'll be interesting to me when he does finally debut his collection in Paris Fashion Week, if one thing happens, if we see an amazing collection from Pharrell Louis Vuitton, what we will know then is that this whole mystique about this whole fashion thing being hard, 
about the mercurial one person leading something all this whatever nonsense we kind of get peddled by media and by brands is completely kaput if Pharrell was able to step in there with limited experience and smash it out the park on the first try, we will know that there's a system actually behind these things that if you just kind of, you know, plug yourself into and you're willing to kind of work with people and kind of lower your ego somewhat and receive assistance and input, you can actually put together a banging collection. We really see what Gucci are doing. Gucci put together pretty two solid collections after Alessandro Michele got fired with no quote unquote leader that had been crazy good. Like, just as good as anything you would have seen from Michele before so if Pharrell does smash it first time then we know that there's a system in place that can kind of facilitate anybody to do a good job so the idea that you have to be someone that goes to a fashion school you have to be somebody who has this level of experience is completely gone because what you can do going forward because this is an experiment other groups or other brands or other houses can look at it and say you know what this this guy's cool like a like a friend like for instance imagine Tyler the Creator imagine ASAP Rocky like what's stopping uh you know a brand like Lacoste for instance deciding hey we're gonna give the creator director role to Tyler the Creator we're gonna give the creator director role to flipping um, Rocky to do if they're popular they've already got an inbuilt crowd they're already kind of cool they've got they've got they've got their level of taste making and whatever and the ability to kind of make cool products just give them the ability to make more of it and with you know support around them and they're probably going to smash it that's what you're probably going to see there but i'm still a bit dubious but also this also like i said could be the effects of the fashion week already catching up on him do you know what I mean? He's going to have to design, if I'm not mistaken, three to four collections a year, maybe. No, he's going to have to show three to four things a year or something along those guidelines. Or maybe in a span of like 18 months. It's pretty crazy, the calendar. So to go from making beats and doing your collaborations and whatnot and launching your cream to suddenly be churning out like, you know, spring, fall, spring, fall re um, resort um, in collaborations in between is going to be a lot to do in one go. But I'm eager to see how he does attack it. But it is crazy to see that finally the great Pharrell Williams is finally starting to age now. He's finally, finally starting to age. Father time catches up on us all, unfortunately. Then quickly, I also want to mention this regarding Supreme dropping a new North Face collaboration. I've been pretty happy and impressed with their recent ones. I think there was a period of time where it felt like they were all kind of duds. Maybe it was like a two, three year period. I didn't really like any of the Supreme collaborations with North Face, but I feel like in recent years, they've slowly kind of come back to their level where they always were at in general. And um, this is obviously um, no flipping um, example. This is probably no, what you call it? This is no exception. That's what I was going to say. I'm talking way too fast here. This is probably no exception. So we've got here classic Noopsy, which I really do like the look of with this print on the outside which kind of makes it look like it's been crinkled or something and it comes in a red and a yellow um as you can see here in purple and is that a black i think that's a black right is that a black that kid's got on yeah black so it comes in four colorways and then obviously you've got another jacket here also which i've never really been a fan of this type of jacket to be fair um and then you've got the pants which i would never wear also even the beanie or the sweatpants um, I like that t-shirt, it's pretty nice, the gloves are pretty decent, the backpacks are always solid, but yeah, the print on the jacket I really do like, to be honest, it kind of gives it that weird, crinkled, plastic, cling thing me type of look, and I'm not really, I'm not really mad at that at all, I also like the little addition of the Supreme label here towards the end here, the little red tab there, that's pretty decent, I like how they've pinched the jacket actually on the product shot, there's these little details that they do supreme which kind of do really well like really clean classic product shots or maybe not very whoever did it and just pulling the drawstrings here just to kind of give this a little bit of a pinch look on the inside really really nice i like that 
the Nook C looks a bit differently, isn't it? I think I think they've changed it slightly as well the Nook C. Maybe it's a different model. But there's no usually Noopsies have like a little flap here that conceals the zip. So just have the zips ex exposed. I'm not really too fond of the zips exposed to be fair. I kinda like it when it looks kinda clean and plush, but whatever. I'm just nitpicking there. As you can see, nice print on it. It comes in red and black. For me, the probably standout colorway I'd probably get in this would probably be yellow. Yellow or red will be probably nice, even maybe purple. But it's just to kind of make it stand out. Um, there might be good options. Um, the, what you call it? The, the shell jacket. I'm not really too fond of, to be fair. I'm sure it is a material, right? It's not. It's just a print. It's sure it's not the. It's not the. It's not definitely crinkled. I'm pretty sure it's a print that makes it look that way, but. Yeah, I do like the pinch. The, the subject is fine. The trousers are cool, but I'm never wearing North Face trousers. The same way I'm never wearing North Face trainers and stuff. That's just never happening. The long sleeve is pretty decent also. The shorts are very cozy. Really, really nice, the shorts. I'm not mad at the shorts at all. These will look good as a pair of ACGs or whatnot. Um, you got got me missing on that one. Sleeveless um, hoodies, I think, are horrible. Whenever I see a sleeveless hoodie, the first thing I think of is Vin Diesel. That's the first person I think of when I see a sleeveless hoodie. Ving Diesel or like Dwayne The Rock Johnson doing those pictures when he's in the gym. Do you know what I mean? Like when he's taking those selfies, like I'm not, not about that sleeveless hoodie life, man. That's just wild to me personally. Like if you want a sleeveless hoodie, just wear a t-shirt. You know, it's like I don't understand it in the slightest. I know Kanye had a sleeveless hoodie era and stuff. I didn't get that with like zips on the side. It's like, what? The t-shirt's okay. Again, not wearing a North Face t-shirt. The hat is really nice. I'm definitely going to wear that. This def definitely is a hat you're probably going to see a few rappers donning very, very soon. And the gloves are pretty okay. And the backpack is really nice too. It would have been nice if they would have done one of those tubular backpacks. I love those little... I don't know if they have got one. Maybe they have. No, they don't. They've just got a regular backpack. But I like those those little North Face backpacks that are like tubular. They're really nice. And you can. And I think there's a version that you can just carry as a little bag. And there's one you can carry as a backpack. I like them. They're kind of really um, adaptable and useful. But yeah, this looks pretty cool. I do like the look of it. So big up Supreme for this. Let's quickly read through the information. It says, yes, Supreme has worked with North Face for a new collaboration. So a new collection of spring 2023. The collection consists of a Trom, Trompe Leoli printed tape seamed seal jacket, Nupsi jacket and a mountain pant, Montana mitt and a Borelis backpack, as well as a hooded sweatshirt, sweatpant, fleece pullover and a fleece short and t-shirt and fleece beanie. The printed tape seal jacket and a mountain parka feature water-resistant recycling poly shell. The printed Nupsi features water resistant uh, breathable uh, poly ripstop with a printed graphic and a 700 feel down insulated interior the high ply fleece pullover and short and beanie high power fleece with embroidered logos and a convertible hooded sweatshirt and sweat and sweat pant feature a brushed back fleece with zip off sleeves and lower legs it's going to be available on march 9th on thursday the only thing i'd say just as a quick note thinking about it the only thing that might be a bit of a concern I know this is this is like a printed print, right? That's meant to look crinkled, like cling film, like I said, or like water or something. I don't know what else is meant to be. But the only thing I'd have a concern about it is maybe this washing out over time. Like, do you know what I mean? The print may be like going weird and washing out. Unless unless it's not printed, unless it's kind of you know what I mean? Unless it's not digital printed, unless it's kind of been dyed on the fabric or something before they put it together. I'm not really too sure. But either way, that'll be the only concern I have about it. Like how how would this how would this last in the wash? 
because I'm not really a fan of like taking all my streetwear clothes to tump to the ta- to the dry cleaners. There was a time when I did that, but nowadays I just chuck myself in my regular washing machine. So, you know, I'm not too sure how how this would handle, you know, being put in with regular flipping gym clothes and stuff in the washing machine. You never know, you never know. But yeah, big up that jacket coming out Thursday. If you want it, you know where to go. If you want it, you know where to go. Then quickly want to mention this because I think this is pretty cool news. And again, it kind of goes on to kind of cement um, Kanye West's legacy out here in terms of being incredibly influential and really kind of cultivating people around him who go on to really sort of affect culture in a big way. Another person who's got a really big job within that Kanye circle or former friend of Kanye is Don C. It's been announced that Don C is now the new creative director of Mitchell and Ness. Um, and it says here, of course, Don C shows up um, to chat wearing a Bulls jersey. The 46-year-old Chicago native and designer behind the Just Don brand is newly appointed creative director for the premium goods for Michelle Ness, the longtime purveyor of throwback gear. But he's also a long history of tapping into the power of nostalgia. In the 90s, I meant selling M&M throwbacks out of his trunk in 2011. That meant releasing a series of mega comfortable python trim snapback hats. Most recently, he's worked as creative strategist and design director for his favorite team, the Bulls. So yeah, the guy knows jersey. So yeah, this guy is obviously you know crazy um about basketball crazy about sports in general but especially when it comes to like throwback jerseys and Doncy for a while especially with his just on brand um those snapbacks were doing bits in the streets people were absolutely going crazy for those flipping snapbacks they were reselling them they're already pricey in terms of retail and then people were reselling them and going crazy for a while um then of course he put out the shorts he had jerseys and whatnot he's got trainers now of course i said before like he's consulting with the balls just really plugged into basketball culture and if you go even back before that when he was still cool with Kanye one of the things that they did which was pretty cool was that for a while even though you could probably credit two people you could probably credit the, you know Kanye's crew and Nike talk but they were really responsible for the surge and popularity of like retro Jordans and maybe for a period you can maybe say like all those kids like Ian Connor and stuff later after the fact but I felt like Nike talk and Kanye's crew like you know Virgil at the time R.I.P. Kanye Doncey and stuff they were always walking around wearing retro Jordans even even someone like Fearless London and they kind of you know um, made those really 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 desirable over time to the point where people were going back and buying you know Jordans from like the 80s and wearing them until the soul crumpled or then doing soul swaps on them and whatnot so it's quite cool to see him still kind of involved in that going forward and for Kanye's legacy also it's quite amazing that everybody around him that even even people that were carrying his book bags like cutting his hair somebody like an IBN Jesper they've all gone on to do amazing things from just being around him think about Heron Preston you think about Matthew M Williams you think about of course Virgil RIP um, you think about Justin Saunders at Jound Don C of course there's just a litany of names of people who have been associated and around Kanye who've just gone on to do crazy amazing things and obviously the Don C story is even better because he's someone like me who started off just being like a you know like a like a like a guy like a like a culture kid I'd imagine and just out there doing amazing incredible things and one thing I really like that he mentions here was um, promoting parties something that I obviously done in my past as well that kind of led to this kind of weird space that I'm kind of occupying at the moment so it says here at the bottom 
Um, it says a question here it says out of all the items you'd run out of a club and show you were promoting back in the day to grab a throwback for an interested buyer is there one story you love telling right this is kind of one of his origin stories he says yeah man there's so many good ones I used to promote parties at a club called biology bar and the people I knew had throwbacks in my trunk so they would call me when they would pull up like yo Don what you got in the car so I can look fresh in a club and I would go there and meet them there was an artist named Bump J no Bump J man he was on the streets he was known honestly and i don't want to put him on blast for being notorious street dude back then so so he didn't know me and he was like man i should rob this dude he got these jerseys it was because i knew his blood brother and then my close friend abby and jeff was close to him and he didn't pull it off but i was putting myself in jeopardy and i remember being in these kind of positions like i legit remember a time when i used to um buy like you know jordan not jordans but air maxes specifically and like you know in like a jd sports and flip them I'll be sending those things over to flipping places like Australia and whatnot because at the time there wasn't a really, really big, um, you know, um, need for Air Maxes back then, especially classic like Air Max 1s, Air Max 90s and laser blues, infrareds, um, the sport red Air Max 1s, pine green ones, the blue ones, like just everybody would love them and whatnot. And of course, the classic being, being what a couple of few times when I used to queue up and stuff and buying sneakers in particular stores and then having to meet very sketchy looking guys pulling up in very expensive 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 cars you know buying basically my, the shoes I wanted to sell them cash in hand was pretty wild a few times that happened um and then to kind of go to that and kind of build up and kind of you know progress from there so for him to go from a period of like selling throwback jerseys customized ones or whatnot you know out of his trunk literally outside of clubs and now suddenly being you know creative director of michelin this must be an amazing and amazing time to be alive so big up um what you call it don c for that achievement it's really cool to see and i'm eager to see what he does end up creating going forward with michelin s i'm really am eager to see what he has going forward and obviously the promo pictures for it are awesome you know um him doing it basically like he's in the what you call it like he's in the like he's getting picked i forgot what it's called in basketball but i really like how they did the promotion for that also so big up them for making that work big up them for making that work then a quick one to mention this. So I've been watching loads of clips online of like Rolling Loud 2023, which has been quite cool to see, but something has left me a bit frustrated, which I mentioned maybe in the previous podcast, was that there is a real lack of artists that perform live, especially the popular ones in hip hop, who perform um, live without a backing track. They all do whatever else does where essentially they perform the same mp3 that you have on your phone maybe a slightly tweaked live version but it's got the full vocals on it and what they do they probably just lower the mids and the highs so that they can you know sound a little bit um better as they kind of float on top of it but essentially when you're there live you're listening to like two voices playing in the background fully and i know some people i know Kanye specifically has versions of his live songs where he has particular words or particular like hooks or maybe even like yeah particular hooks or particular like ad-libs he would leave on a track so it might be like, like, ah, ah, or whatever maybe and then in between just so he can keep a note of where he's at and stuff but for the most part he just wraps it straight like straight into the microphone no backing track so i'm curious to know why don't these artists nowadays do that i wonder if it's just like a pure laziness type of thing where some artists just create what they create in a studio that like, difference is a future when he makes a track, he just makes what he makes at that moment. He cuts it all. He records it all at the same time, gets mixed and mastered and it's done. 
So there is no kind of raw stem stem version of the track where you can maybe remove the vocals. It doesn't exist. You'd have to kind of reverse engineer and kind of make it up, uh, make it again from scratch and kind of work away that that way. But the idea that they've got stems or this um, track without the vocals just doesn't exist. That might be a thing, or it might just be a thing of like they just can't be bothered um, because it just it would require more work because you have to go on stage and you know basically you know be okay to memorize your entire set word for word without the help of the track in the background and whatnot and sometimes you might lose your timing you don't like how you sound when you're heavily breathing but for me i feel like if i'm paying for a ticket to see someone live i want to hear them perform live and one thing that kind of reminded me of this was this clip that was going a little bit viral on my side of twitter which features king cruel performing on um what do you call it for putting on letterman in 2013 this is when he's like a teenager but i saw him a few years after this when he went to perform at primavera festival and one of the first things i noticed when i saw him at primavera festival because i remember just walking to a stage i think i was walking and he was kind of behind me no just you know to get to the stage you know, it doesn't matter how i got there but basically i was kind of walking away from the stage to kind of get to the to the crowd bit because you have to kind of go around a little thing and i remember just hearing it as i was walking away thinking raw this guy sounds exactly like the mp3 like exactly like like perfect voice to sing live but just in general it was just refreshing to hear him sing the same songs that i was banging out in my headphones live so this is a quick clip of um king crow performing on letterman That is like 10 times better than anything you're going to hear at Rolling Loud, unfortunately. And it, I think it does those guys a real disservice because everyone booked at Rolling Loud are all the favourites of all the kids. All the kids that go to Rolling Loud, they love every single person that performs there. Those are their favourite artists. Those are the ones they bang out and listen to all the time. So it would be really nice if they could kind of, for a change, you know, just give them a show. Put on an actual performance because what you see at Rolling Loud with these guys is just they're they're basically on stage acting like hype men for their own tracks, right? They're not exactly performing their songs at all. They might just say a few words, they might scream something in the case of little of Playboy Carty, but they're not really performing really. It's kind of annoying to see that. Just see them running around on stage and whatnot. So essentially what it turns into is like a weird kind of like musical meet and greet like you just go and see the person live because you want to look at what they look you want to see what they look like in person be around other fans maybe that's also a part of it maybe that community aspect of it but you're not really getting a live show you're just getting you know a dj playing the songs you got on your mp3 and the artist that you love basically screaming over the vocals um, but I'd love to see that kind of be improving because I feel like Rolling Loud in terms of just an operation they're probably one of the best out there in terms of how they run that festival it's run with military precision they don't let anybody go over their time if you're late whatever time you got left that's why you perform some people already told me in some comments I mentioned about um, Lancey Foe how he only had seven minutes people are saying in the comments that he basically got there late so whatever minutes he had left is what he had to perform so that's how they deal with stuff, which I love. But I just wish the artists would go a step further and take advantage of how professional and how kind of on it that festival is and actually give their fans a show. Like, don't just go there and scream over an MP3. That is so dead. 
especially if kids are paying like you know upwards of a hundred quid or whatnot, hundred dollars to go to those kind of festivals. It just doesn't seem worth it, in my opinion. But hey, what do I know? Next, we've got some other news as well to mention here, or side news for this guy. And you know, some people may know him from YouTube. I know him from YouTube, and obviously from his trainers that he sells but local youtube star omi and the hellcat has been sentenced to five and a half years in order to forfeit 30 million in large-scale cable piracy case um and this is the guy of course i think most of you if you're not familiar with him is that is that kind of fat looking black dude but i think he's like i think if, i'm pretty sure he's um I'm pretty sure he's not even black. I think he's pretty Dominican or something, right? He's Latino. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, but it doesn't matter. He was, um, if you're not familiar with him, he was kind of in the news because he got basically in trouble with the law because he was selling and slinging these, if I'm not mistaken, these kind of like fire stick type of things where essentially you could watch anything that you wanted on these kind of sticks. And I guess cable companies and whatnot really weren't having it or happy about it at all, especially because he was making a lot of money and he was really kind of flaunting his wealth online and showing how easy it was to kind of flip these things. And for the most part, from what I heard online, people really enjoyed the things that he sold. Like it wasn't like he was selling, you know, um, crappy stuff it actually worked the way he kind of sold the way he kind of sold it and obviously he was reaping the benefits of running a good business and then he kind of parlayed that to some crypto he did, of course did the sneaker stuff and that kind of went crazy because then he ended up falling out with the guy that he's doing the sneaker stuff with and then they end up making the same type of bootleg Jordans together and he ended up trying to swindle the guy just loads of drama around him but essentially he's kind of been on social media and in and around it for a long time but he kind of came across my um inbox during the pandemic is when i kind of got exposed to him a lot it says here local youtube star who bought a sizable following with slickly produced videos flaunting his fleet of sports cars and luxury cars um no his, his, his fleet of sport and luxury cars collection of diamond encrusted bling and his spacious swiss borough home will be forced to give up nearly all of it after he was sentenced to wednesday to five and a half years in prison for an illegal business that allowed him to amass those trappings of success just go back to his picture would you describe this as a, as a McMansion? That's a McMansion, right? That looks like a McMansion to me, that house. It looks McMansion-y. It's kind of sterile. It's just, it's big, it's spacious. It looks very luxurious, but, you know, it's kind of sterile. It looks kind of a cookie cutter, like it's been made out of a computer and just kind of plops in the middle of nowhere. I would describe that as a, as a, as a McMansion. You would think so maybe who knows um bill omar carasquello bill omar carasquillo better known to his more than eight hundred thousand online followers as omi and a hellcat pleaded guilty last year to running one of the most brazen and successful cable tv piracy schemes ever prosecuted by the u.s government cable tv companies do not play in it when it comes to their money they do not play when it comes to their service imagine being put in prison for five and a half years it's, it's essentially for running like um uh, a worse version of torrenting crazy as part of his sentencing on wednesday he was ordered to forfeit more than 30 million in assets nearly 6 million in cash and cars including lamborghinis porsches bentley's mclaren's and a portfolio of more than a dozen properties he had amassed across philadelphia and in the suburbs wow this guy did it right though to be fair he made a lot of money and somehow instead of just spending it all on balenciaga which i guess he did he also had assets like he had 30 million in assets like and he's not buying these properties in like new york and la he's buying them in places like philadelphia so i'm assuming he had prop he had a lot of properties maybe even like skyscrapers and shit that he owned so this guy did it actually the right way um anyway it continues 
30 million dollars is a lot of money but tangible objects aren't everything says u.s district attorney u.s district judge sorry harvey bartel the third saying in announcing the punishment during the hearing in federal court you have a large following and there are many people who think if you can get away with it they can too <laughs> so they're trying to send a message um kara squealer 36 apologized to his family his employees and the cable companies he cheated for his business which illegally sold content hijacked from cable boxes to thousands of online subscribers paying a fee as low as $15 a month so he undercut them all uh, you know put it all in one handy stick and they got annoyed of course I really didn't know the significance of this crime until I was picked up that's not that's not good defense my guy I didn't know this is bad <laughs> until it's picked up by the imagine you don't know if this is bad you're making money more money than you've ever made in your entire life your social media is going crazy and then suddenly you get raided by the FBI you, that 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 must be a real real big wake up call um he says i feel like i let everybody down but while prosecutors described Karaskula crimes which included um counts of conspiracy and copyright infringement fraud and money laundering and tax evasion as serious much of wednesday's hearing focused on Karaskula's remarkable rags to riches story a product of north philadelphia he was raised as a, uh, a pre north philadelphia born and raised from a playback as well <laughs> he was raised as one of 38 children holy shit his mother was deported and died of an overdose when he was still a child whoa this is like a true villain story isn't it his father dealt drugs and trained carascula at age 12 to cook crack cocaine okay no wonder he's so smart no wonder he was able to amass 30 million in flipping assets this guy is no dummy, do you know what I mean? He may look like a bit of a dummy, how he kind of goes on, right? He kind of looks like a flipping, like a Teletubby, right? With his jaws and stuff, looks a bit ridiculous, but he's no dum-dum, that's for sure. Um, it continues here. Um, his mother deported. Um, he ping-ponged between relatives' homes and foster care, and including the stint with his um, with one caretaker who intentionally had him um, committed to a mental health facility for access to prescription narcotics he could later sell on the streets. Oh my God! Imagine being put in a mental health institute to acquire prescription drugs for your relatives to resell, but you're actually sane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He spent much of his teenage years and clearly an early 20s out in and out of prison for drug and other offenses. Still, his attorney, Dante Mills, told the judge once Cascarella swore off that life, he, without school diploma and little financial support, was able to build a multi million dollar business based on what at the time was considered cutting edge technology in the entertainment field. But yeah, he still had the seed money from, you know a few of those kind of illicit drugs i'm assuming but hey who knows the company launched in 2016 and known at various points by names like gears tv gears reloaded was a leader among so-called illicit iptv services a one billion a year industry in the united states it provided subscribers hundreds of on-demand movies and television shows as well as access to dozens of live cable channels and pay-per-view events at cut rate pricing all of it was stolen illegitimately from services like comcast verizon fios and direct tv that's basically why he got nabbed in it he was dealing with the big boys like the, the people behind these things that don't play around that's why they had to send a message and make it clear that this is not a lick the service provided so the service proved wildly successful attracting more than 100,000 subscribers and amassing more than 34 million dollars in revenue by the time federal investigators shut it down in 2019 jesus christ so in what three and a half years he made 34 million in revenue god almighty he absolutely smashed it. 
Um, there's something to be said for someone who never had a chance um, but made for themselves and who did everything in their power not to be the person they were expected to be, Mills said. That's Omar. Despite his guilty plea, Casquerillo and his lawyer uh, both suggested at various points during Wednesday's proceedings that Gears TV had at least initially operated within a legal grey area. Congress moved last year to more clearly define the types of business Cascarillo ran as illegal and Cascarillo in videos posted to his YouTube channel over the last year has argued he'd legally paid for subscriptions to all cable services whose content he accused of pirating. It doesn't work out like that. He thought because he paid for it, he could then, you know, um, sell it as a service to other people. That's not how it works, brother. It's not how it works. In one posted under the title FBI sees everything from me, he likened what he did to inviting friends who don't have cable over to the home and taking up a collection to pay per pluve. Nah, come on, that's not the same thing. This is where he's being um, on purpose facetious because this guy's not a dummy. He, you know, he's just obviously trying to make sure he can fight his case in that way. I wonder if he's going to make one last video before he goes to prison. Um, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of making money, he said in the video. I ain't guilty of nothing else. Prosecutors beg to differ, as as uh, Brenda would say. They beg to differ. This was illegal the entire time, says Jason Gull, the senior attorney in the Justice Department's computer crime and intellectual property section. He noted that Cascola had made more money from his operation than virtually every other copyright defendant I've ever seen. <laughs> I've got a feeling the money is a thing that really pisses people off. The amount of money he's able to amass, the fact that he came from nothing, right? Like really from the mud, um, not educated in any way, shape or form. He was able to swindle all of these, you know, really powerful, influential, smart, educated people. And the fact that he was flaunting all online, I think is what really got people on, on, under their nerves, which is, goes to show like crime usually, if you're willing to kind of be quiet, and move in silence and not attract any eyes and ears on you you can basically get away with a lot but the moment you start flaunting your stuff and you start making it seem like it's easy or maybe you even start selling courses about how other people can set up their own iptv stuff suddenly the feds are like no 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 no. we can't be having all these paws you know climbing up the flipping socioeconomic ladder we can't be having them we can't be having these paws you know pour themselves out from the gutter with them um, with these business ideas no way get back in line it continues as he stood before the judge on wednesday cascarillo acknowledged he'd since had a change of heart one inspired ironically by a television show produced by disney a company whose content he has been accused of stealing <laughs> look at the videos he's a master in it this entire time he's been sitting waiting to be sentenced he's been making hand money hand over fist on youtube with these videos right this video omen haircut is guilty look at this look at this look at the flipping um thumbnail it's him looking sad with guilty written there with um what you call it the the, the department of justice logo um the judge hammer <laughs> he's a funny guy um he described uh viewing a behind the scenes documentary on pixar and the work of thousands of employees that goes into making each of these animated films i love i love this stuff that he does where he tries to pretend like he uh, he suddenly seen the light thinking about those workers and millions it costs these employees to produce even half an hour television show he said he realized that he had not committed a, vi a victimless crime he did fight um the prosecutor's request that he'd paid nearly 11 million in restitution 
So they wanted to forfeit 30 mil and pay 11 mil. Okay, well done for getting out of that one. Um, to the cable companies and an additional 5.7 million to the IRS and unpaid taxes. He swore that the once he released from prison, he intended to focus on family and legitimate ventures like his YouTube channel and online marketing business. As Wednesday's hearing concluded, he paused to address the judge. This sentence, he said, saved my life. So five and a half years is a long time, but also not a long time. But also I would imagine with somebody like this who's super smart the way he is, this will definitely add to his law and definitely he'll probably even come out of prison maybe making more money than he did before because he can show people, look at the journey I'm on, um, the bounce back. Um, and also he could do that thing on YouTube where someone starts, you know, there's a lot of guys that do it. I think there's a property developing guy that I remember doing, I think he's English, who kind of, he goes like, oh, I've only got this amount of money, like I've got $100, how do I get on a property ladder? And then he kind of shows you how to do certain things and whatnot. So he can definitely start that. He can say, look, I've got a criminal record, I'm a registered felon, and he comes out of jail and boom, he kind of shows you how to kind of progress to kind of go from zero, quote unquote, all the way to a certain amount of money. So he'll probably end up making more money than he did before. Um, all being said but he has to sit down for five and a half years and he also might lose a bunch of weight that might be good i mean he might come out looking at gucci man so that might also add to his um you know to be able to, to for the ability of kind of being able to market himself better out there but he did share some views about how he felt after coming out of sentencing so let's see what omin Heka has to say after being sentenced to five and a half years of prison all right guys so i've been away from social media for a while because this is the moment i've been dreading uh facing 27 and a half years we all know it started at 500 wow but um i just got sentenced today i feel like the judge was super fair um he heard everyone's testimony about my character everyone who came to court the judge ordered me uh to 66 months in federal prison which um i feel as though it's fair for especially how, how much money i made <laughs> I have to pay uh, 10 point something million in restitution, which they already wow. have, which will be applied to the, which they already got the money now. And I got to pay another 5.7 million. He already had 10.5 million in the bank to pay them for restitution straight off rip. This guy was balling. He had it already on him. He had it. That's what I'm saying. That like, this guy was really smart and not the type of just like to make that kind of money and just blow it on booze and drugs and whatnot. He clearly had a plan. Because he was able, even though they took away his assets, 30 million of them, right? They probably froze his ability to kind of make any more money on those, even if he was renting them out. But he had already in the bank, you know, 10 mil plus that he could just whack and kind of give up straight away and give it up to kind of maybe add or help to um, kind of lighten his sentence and whatnot. Jesus, man, how much money did this guy make really? Like legitimately, the, you know, the I'm sure the official record books show one thing, but unofficially it, may, it must be way more than what's been noted restitution to the IRS so you know I'll be home in the next two to three years I hope you guys continue to uh, ah, okay so it's five and a half years with um, good behavior it'll probably be maybe two to three makes sense but. we're loaded universe I got 60 days so once again this has been a long time coming uh, I had a seizure done in 2019 I got charged in 2021 you know the judge was super lenient but fair but also didn't want to deter other people from committing the same type of tv piracy that i committed um i was talking everything in detail i'm coming out with a new youtube video of course you um, are <laughs> it'll only be done by devin wade and uh, we'll talk about it 
but it's over. I already know what I'm doing. I know what I'm getting. There's no more stress, no more nothing. I know when I come home, everything will be fine. I'm good. 66 months was super fair. And, um, you know, it sucks for my kids, but I'm happy with it. It's probably, probably a salvation for my fat ass to lose some weight anyway. Jesus, man. He's really locked in, though. He kind of seems to have a good attitude about the whole thing. And, um, yeah, you know, um, I didn't actually think about that also. The other bit where he said um, it's nice just to know what he's doing now going forward because he had this hanging over his head for the whole time, waiting to be sentenced, not sure what you're going to get. But now he knows exactly how long he's going to be in there for. Restitution's been paid. Basically, he's been sentenced. And all this to do now is just to see it out and make sure he comes out of it on the other side all right. Obviously, it's, you know, it's no walking the cake to go to prison straight away. But is still a good kind of resolution to kind of get that all done and out of the way. So yeah, big up Omi in the Hellcat. Hopefully it helps out, it works out for him and he's able to come out of it on the other side and keep it pushing and keep it pushing. Next, I want to mention this because I thought this was really, really interesting. So I want to say that, you know, I think most of you do agree that the stuff that I do, especially the stuff that I do now here in terms of podcasting, I would say it's definitely one of the hardest jobs in the world and definitely one of the most dangerous jobs in the world it's up there with like being a navy seal it's up there with being a police officer a fireman like this is the most dangerous job in the world one of the most dangerous jobs in the world and if you think i'm lying and you don't believe me why it's completely dangerous then you definitely haven't seen this um video that went viral recently regarding these two podcasters who just minding their business having a chat somewhere in a coffee shop or a restaurant and out of nowhere a car slams into them into the window that they're sitting in front of and nearly takes both of them out by the grace of god they both kind of escape you know without injury but the entire window that they're sitting in front of is completely collapsed um in front of them as they're recording the podcast and their reaction to it is pretty amazing and telling of the times we're living in they'd hardly react they're kind of in a state of shock and it kind of just doesn't occur to them exactly what has happened in front of them so let's play the video of what happened because i think this is really really hilarious and again re-emphasizes my point that podcasting is one of the difficult jobs in the world so quiet in here how did i did you see that did you see that the whole car came crashing into them as they're sitting down the window panes come completely off of the flipping building they're sitting in let's just go back one more time so quiet in here how did i car smashes into them and for some reason, it just stops as it gets right to them. So it doesn't completely, you know, tear through their backs and crush their legs. Somehow they escape completely unharmed. Absolutely insane. Wow. I think we're fine. I think we've got all the audio on there. <laughs> what the hell happened? Holy shit. Oh, my God. What the fuck just happened, dude? So crazy. Anyway, you see that happening. Um, so we kind of scroll down. It says Ale uh, Nathan Reeves and Alexi Reyes. So uh, Alexi Reyes were recording their podcast at a Houston cafe. This is in a cafe <laughs> at the weekend when in the middle of filming, a black Chevrolet skidded around the corner, slamming into the window behind them. As the car smashed through the window, the two quickly shut up in shocked looks on their faces. 
it was kind of a fight or flight and I flew. I got out there, says Reyes, ABC 13 News. I think we're fine. I think we've got all the audio here. Holy shit, oh my God, the person says. We're just talking to the camera and the car smashes into our backs. Um, he said that luckily nobody in the, in the cafe or in the SUV was injured from the incident. <clears throat> the duo were happy to be still alive and looking forward to recur- recording more podcasts just without the car crashes. We're content creators and artists, so we will not stop. There will be more, hopefully no more car crashes and content. If anything, this is actually good promo for your pod. This is really good promo for your pod that you were just sitting there minding your business and out of nowhere, a car comes crashing into the cafe that you're sitting down in and nearly takes you out. Like you nearly die, you know, because of the art of podcasting or sitting in front of a microphone talking crap to your best friend in a coffee shop. That was nearly the cause of your death. Look at that. Look at how eerie that picture is of these two guys smiling, minding their business in this coffee shop as the car comes careering into them like that absolutely incredible really 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 wild and it feels like i've seen way more of these videos recently and again i'm, I'm, I'm sure it's not an american thing but i've seen a lot more american clips of cars for some reason just smashing into buildings like what is with the driving standards over there in america where people somehow lose control of their car and are able to kind of career and kind of skid and slide and smash into buildings and basically take people out on the inside or i saw this really sad sad clip of i think this guy that was um or some person was um was in the police chase and they were speeding intersection and then they skid off the curb smash into a house and if i'm not mistaken um i think the house collapsed onto the car and collapsed onto the other car he crashed into and some random person passed away of course and the person that was in this speed chase didn't pass away it seems to always be the case whoever's whoever's causing a crash never dies it's always the people that, that had nothing to do with it a good point in theory was that um horrendous crash that happened in la where that lady was uh speeding through an intersection like super fast and she crashed and she smashed loads of cars and a baby died a family died like bare people died but she didn't even though she was doing like 100 miles per hour down the street or something it's really unfair how that stuff happens but again um pick up these guys i'm glad they're okay um podcasting is one of the hardest jobs in the world i keep telling people no one keeps no one believes me no one kind of uh takes what i say seriously but we've now seen podcasting is definitely harder than being a gangster rapper so jim jones if you're out there podcasting definitely beats your profession my friend it definitely definitely beats your profession Next thing I wanted to mention was this. This is pretty cool, right? So this is courtesy of Michael Bibby, the very well-known tech house producer or house producer or DJ or whatever you want to call him. And he put this really cool caption or post up on Instagram that was really nice. It says the following. He said, I first met Kinahu, or is that saying Kinahu or Kinaho, um, after um, he snuck backstage at one of my shows, handed me a letter explaining it had a USB stick with music inside. Receiving USBs is normal, but the letter was the most heartfelt thing I've ever received. I prayed the music would be good. It was stacked full of amazing tracks. <laughs> yeah, that must be so, um, it must be a bit of a weird feeling to have in it when you're a DJ. You're a famous DJ, you get loads of people um, trying to, you know, be your friend. You get loads of people, artists up and coming, trying to pass you promos like USBs or CDs or vinyls. And sometimes you find people who are really nice and you connect to it for some reason. And then they give you music 
and the music's terrible and you're like oh man i really like you as well i wanted to hang but now it makes it awkward because i can't really let you know that your music sucks and you should give it up and just look for another job you know but i still want to hang and it puts you in a weird position so when you do find somebody that you legitimately clicked with and they actually do good stuff it's quite you know it's quite uh it's it, it's a big relief. Let's just say that. It's a big relief. <laughs> it continues here. One of the songs was using an exact same sample of a track I was already working on with Audio Bullies. If I'm honest, his vocal arrangement was better than mine. I knew I had to call him and ask him to join me on the track immediately. Today, the song is number three in the Beatport charts. What an amazing story. This random person who wrote him a really nice heartfelt message here, as you can see there on the thing. It's a guy, Michael, he's from Amsterdam. He's writing him a message, giving him the USB, really, really sweet. That's really cool to see. And now that track they've made together is now number three on Beatport charts. He said he's young, extremely talented kid with virtually no professional releases under his um, belt before this. So I wanted to do the right thing and helpfully help him achieve his dreams as a young touring producer and, and DJ. I love how you put touring. Ladies and gentlemen, meet Kinahu. So this is really nice of Michael Bibby. Like he really putting his arm around this kid and giving him the biggest promo ever. This is great to see. But it also made me think, why don't we see this more often in DJ? In the DJ culture or DJs in general? For whatever reason, I think in every other part of music, even hip hop being an obvious example of it, of the cosine, the arm around the shoulder, we see people always kind of lifting people up or bringing them in. But we rarely see it with DJs. Like we rarely see somebody prominent kind of plucking somebody up and coming and deciding to take them on tour with them, you, you know, use them as an opening, um, or maybe just kind of, you know, get them some gigs here and there. It's not something that happens quite often. It's a very, um, if because even myself kind of, you know, being an up and coming DJ in that regard, it's a very singular. Uh, um, it's a very singular profession and it's also a very kind of closed profession like once you're in the inside and you're somebody that's touring and you're going to you know you're DJing at the same club as everybody else you're probably bumping into people at airports suddenly everyone's your friend but when you're out of that circle and you're not really booked you're not really out there in the festival circuit you're not in the main big clubs it kind of feels like you're not really part of the conversation you kind of feel a little bit out there and it's kind of hard to get in especially if you don't have an agent or you don't have a, you don't have any tracks and stuff and whatnot or maybe if you don't look a particular way all those kind of things might play into it. or maybe just timing as well overall or maybe just a fundamental thing talent who knows but it's very difficult to kind of get in but once you are in you're in but it's very rare do you see somebody on the inside like a very prominent person say hey let me bring you forward the only thing i can think of as an example is when a dj might launch a label and then they might kind of you know sign producers but then push the producers to start djing because that's a good way to kind of get your songs out there but rarely do i kind of think of seeing a big prominent person if it, like a good example would be imagine you books imagine somebody prominent gets booked like a good Yancey gets booked to play at a party somewhere but then um whoever's promoting the party they have their own djs that they kind of use as residents good Jansen is going to play the main set but he's hanging around and here's the person playing before them and they're amazing and he says hey i actually want to I, I think i might actually want to get you on board with running back or something do you know what i mean or or kind of introduce you to my booking person it rarely happens it's just you know he you book you book gerd jansen gerd jansen comes plays slays with his little cravat and scarf on does his thing drinks his water and goes home there's rarely if ever an opportunity to kind of be like hey i'm up and coming can you help me this help me that and i imagine even if you do ask for the help you're probably met with like being left on scene you know people not following through it's a bit brutal so for someone like a michael bibby who's huge 
he's like really really big i think you know he, his followers must be in the millions now because I, I've, I've known of him for a while but his followers definitely must okay it's close to a million eight hundred thousand for like a what you'd call a bit of a niche tech house sort of dj for him to be at that level means he's really really well known so for him to do this just goes to show like how much of a decent human being he is to go out of his way and do something like this is really really cool and we continue on we see here a picture of the kid that made the track he probably called him we see a sample of them in the studio making the track we get another page here another picture as well with him obviously um behind the scenes um with michael bibby who's got good taste wearing vetima so big up big for wearing vetima it's not them in the era but it's still good enough regardless but also another thing to kind of note of this this shouldn't be an opportunity or an encouragement for everyone to do this this is just something that's kind of in your destiny i don't think people should always copy someone else's approach to making it this is just something that kind of was always destined for this kid to make it this way to basically write um you know michael bibby this really heartfelt message and then he would have saw this message and then it kind of gone from there this is always his path to go it's not for someone else to kind of copy and kind of try and do the same thing because i know that's what's going to happen many people he probably should put a disclaimer in this caption and it wouldn't surprise me if he does it in the next few days like hey edit um please refrain from sending me messages and you know kind of um letters pleading for help and whatnot and telling me about all your problems or sending me a gofundme link like no 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 no. this is definitely his story of getting forward but like i said i would just i would love to see i would love there to be more of this going forward but i just think for whatever reason DJing is somewhat of a very singular profession and it's very singular in terms of how people even just approach it. There is no real bringing in with people. People are quite selfish with the opportunity. No, I wouldn't say selfish. Selfish is a bad word to say because it feels like you're owed it. No one's owed anything. No one should be giving you anything. But it just just from observing, even taking away my my kind of desire to be one myself and how I'm kind of pursuing it, just looking at it from a punter's point of view, there's very rarely like people kind of reaching back and sort of bringing people up it doesn't really happen for the most part which is odd but i'm sure there's a reason behind it but i was thinking to myself thinking oh this is pretty cool and i would love this as well to happen to me but the one thing that i would love more so to happen to me if i ever had the opportunity to bump into michael bibby is definitely to do something like this with michael bibby this is definitely what i would be interested in right this is what i'll be interested in and this is a clip of michael bibby playing um in his home i think at the time or maybe a studio but this was during the lockdown during the pandemic is when i kind of discovered him actually and he was really holding that holding us down i think during the pandemic him and a few other people in the tech house scene doing these kind of live streams and whatnot where you could kind of party at home and you know have a good time or whatnot and he did this really cool mix which is called michael baby isolate um oh michael baby isolate number five live stream true isolation and there's a particular part in this live stream where he seems to disappear to maybe do some stuff that i am a fan of doing and it seems to be a good time and this is definitely what i would like to do if i ever met michael bibby instead of writing him you know heartful messages because i don't write heartful messages to anybody <laughs> I wonder what's down there. I wonder what's down there. <laughs> I wonder what's down there, eh? I wonder what's down there. Whatever was down there, it kind of brings a little bit of um, allergies, you know? It's kind of a, it's somewhat of an allergy... Uh, 
an allergy causer, right? It causes you to maybe snatch, scratch your nose, rub it, sneeze a little bit, whatever it may be. But that's what definitely I'd like to do if I ever bumped into Michael Bibby. But yeah, big up Michael Bibby regardless. That was super sweet of him. And big up the kid. Um, how do you pronounce his name? I should keep forgetting it here. It's Kinahu. Kinahu. Um, the track is out now at the moment. If you do want to check it out, actually, let's double check his Instagram to see what the track is called. Um, I forgot the name of it. The track is called... Um, where is it? Is this the one? I think this is the one here. I got it on screen. That's a track, right? Michael Bibby Audio Bullies. So big up him. That sounds absolutely amazing. So cool. Big up him. Um, Kinahu, check him out. Um, he's only on 5,000 followers now. I'm sure once he starts getting bookings and whatnot and playing in places, he's going to absolutely shoot up and you'll see this go to flipping crazy, crazy places. So big up, big up Kinahu, big up Michael Bibby for putting that together. Absolutely amazing to see. Impossible, impossible to hate. Next one to mention this quickly, just as a thing to mention. Um, this post has been going viral online and... I understand the LOLs behind it. I understand people laughing and having a little kind of LOL moment. But for me, I find this a little bit weird to laugh at because for the most part, this is quite refreshing and nice to see. Because usually whenever I'm in the airport, the one thing you always see people doing is wearing, nowadays anyway, more so than ever, there's a lot of like lounge gear. Even myself, for the most part, when I'm going to the airport and I'm flying somewhere, I usually always just wear like a pullover hoodie, sweatpants and trainers. That's all I usually have, like a tracksuit type of look. But I remember a time when I was growing up where my parents always used to say, if you're ever traveling somewhere, like if we were going on a, on the Eurostar somewhere, traveling to see family members to sleep over for a holiday or a special event, uh, whatever it may be, you would actually dress up, like even on a school trip, your, your parents want to give you like a nice outfit, like, you know, get you some nice clothes, maybe, you know, whatever, maybe you'll save something in your wardrobe and kind of pull it out for that trip. But the idea behind it was to always kind of dress well. You'd never went to the airport looking slouchy. You always kind of put your hat, your, a good outfit on. Maybe part of it was like weird kind of contingency plan in case like your flight got delayed or it got cancelled. You had like a, a an outfit that looked presentable in all manners because if you put on a suit in the morning, you basically look good all the way through, right? But if you've got a pair of sweatpants on the whole day and your flipping flights get cancelled, you have to go back to work or something, suddenly you're kind of looking a bit, you know, underdressed. So that whole idea of dressing up to go to the airport, I've always kind of known it to be a thing, but only in recent years for myself, I've kind of started to dress in like, you know, sweatpants and hoodies and stuff to go to the airport. But I've never ever been the guy, because I've seen it recently, when I went to the airport, I've seen people like, especially girls, just wearing tights and flipping, you know, slides to go on a plane. And it's like, huh? I've never understood it in the slightest. If anything, I want to maybe take advantage, especially if I'm not taking check luggage. I want to have one outfit on. That's one less outfit in the bag. I don't want to go there with like all my outfits crammed in my luggage and then wearing my quote unquote pajamas at the airport. I think that's a little bit gross. So when I saw this tweet go viral where everyone's sharing and this guy says, there's always at least one, one of these guys on every flight I'm on. Everything designer down to the phone case they all do this just to sit in row 32b and there's this guy that's at the airport and he's got everything gucci like he's got this really it's like an, it's like an older gentleman it looks like he's got this really crazy gucci glasses on a gucci backpack you know the the classic um the classic asian black boy um shirling jacket that we all love skinny jeans balenciaga triple s's and a gucci um what you call it a gucci sack like a like a hold all bag that he's got also that he's kind of wearing now, for me, I understand what the guy means, right? You're wearing all this designer stuff and then you're only going to go sit and coach. But I think, I think that 
first of all, first class prices for tickets are crazy. Like if you've ever tried to check how much it is to legitimately purchase without an upgrade, without air miles, just to purchase a ticket that's first class, it's absolutely crazy. It's really insane the difference in between coach and whatnot. Luckily for me in Europe, um, or luckily for me, like because I travel mostly to Europe, I don't really have an option to go fly first class for the most part. And usually everyone takes coach anyway. So all of our airlines that I use, especially places like Vueling, airlines like Vueling and Ryanair they're kind of equivalent to you guys over there Spirit Airlines they do the job they get you where you need to get to A and B for the most part they run quite often bloody blah 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 so the idea of kind of getting a first class flight on those flights that are like less than four hours seems like a real waste of money it would only make it would only make some sense if I was going like, like a transatlantic flight or somewhere to Southeast Asia somewhere to you know North America to Africa South America that would make more sense because those flights are like over 10 hours but if you're traveling in and around Europe and whatnot to get first class seat just so you can look congruent with the outfit that you have on seems a little bit extra the only the only kind of slight I'd have with this guy's outfit where he's wearing everything designer is that I can't ever imagine sitting on a plane with skinny jeans for for like you know four and a half hours in those tight ass seats especially in the altitude it feels like everything kind of sticks to you a bit more you feel uncomfortable so that's the only thing i probably wouldn't do i'd probably just wear some regular straight cut trousers i wouldn't wear like skinny jeans and whatnot and maybe again not designer trainers because you know as much as i love them i've got a couple of pairs of Balenciaga triple s's they're not the most comfortable shoes in the world um and they weigh a ton so i probably wouldn't wear those to go to the airport i wouldn't even take them with me full stop and maybe wear something a little bit more comfortable but i don't actually mind somebody making an effort um, when they go to the airport it's i would much rather see this visually as ridiculous as it looks than to see a whole group of girls in pajamas and flipping you know um lululemon leggings and whatnot and flipping you know what, what's that thing called um and those horrible flipping brown shoes that everyone wears, Uggs and whatnot, going to the airport. That's that's a bit gross, personally, I think. Like, you should be able to make some level of an effort. So, as ridiculous as this guy looks to be, you know, designer from head to toe and going to go sit coach and sit on row 32B, at least he's making some level of effort, in my opinion. At least he's making some level of effort. But, you know, but again, what do I know? What do I know? Moving on from that one, we got these quickly. I wanted to quickly highlight regarding uh, these mules from Alix, featured here by Hypebeast. 1017 Alix 9SM delivers this dual monochromatic mono hiking mule for spring, summer 2023. I'm not really sold on mules yet. I don't know what it is about the shape of them. Or maybe it's because of the area that I live in. The only thing I can think of when it comes to mules is because um, I live near an area where we've got this international school and there's a student accommodation that's usually filled with a lot of, kind of you know, basically Chinese students who love designer. And there was a period in time when they all were wearing these particular Gucci loafers that were essentially mules where it had a bit of fur in the back of them. And they were really popular. Every kind of kid that went to that flipping or that stayed in that student accommodation seemed to be wearing them to go and do their flipping shopping on a weekday, which kind of tells you what kind of money those guys are playing with. They, they kind of turned those Gucci fur things into slides. But I don't really, I don't know. There's something about mules I just can't get into, even though these are done really well with these um, elite trainers. Like essentially, they've made them look quite cool. 
Like, and they don't just because I think some mules they just look like they just cut the heel off, whereas these look like they kind of been designed in a particular way to kind of flow and kind of work with the upper. Of course, the extra kind of fix all kind of adds to it. And you know, in general, I think you know, at least do produce and design decent trainers, but it's something just about the silhouette that I just can't get down with, and I just don't can't imagine in my life in anywhere I'd be where I'd want to wear a trainer. No, I want to wear a mule that looks like a trainer. Because I feel like for me, if I want to wear something that's got like a loose back, I'm going to put a pair of Birkenstocks on. I'm going to put a pair of slides on or actual slippers. I'm not going to wear a trainer that's a slipper, if you get what I mean. That's not really kind of my vibe. If I want to wear a designer shoe, I wear a designer shoe that's big and chunky, but I don't need to have it look like a slipper. That's the only thing I don't really understand. But I think maybe this kind of occupies the same uh, area of interest as, like I said, as those Chinese students that I saw in my area, those rich Chinese students who legitimately want to wear like just expensive shoes and slippers that's just what they do it's like seeing a kid i remember one time when i had my balenciaga triple s's um because uh, i had a couple of pairs and one of them unfortunately you know the sole flipping crumbled but i remember one time being on a train and one asian dude came up to me and said hey um how are those for running like are those good for the gym and stuff like and he was being serious it wasn't like he was joking around he was legitimately being serious like would you recommend them for the gym and i was looking at him thinking like why would you wear balenciaga triple s's to the gym these things are like have no flex in them whatsoever. They are super stacked, like soul wise. Um, they're not really comfortable and they're really expensive. Like, why would you wear, why would you trash these shoes in the gym? Then I remembered, oh, yeah, I remember those kids from my, you know, from locally who went to that international school who would wear Gucci loafers um, to the flipping, what you call it, to the flipping supermarket and whatnot. That's what they do on a daily basis. And I couldn't really kind of get my head around it. But sometimes when you got money like that, you can just do that. Do you know I mean? You can just turn your most expensive shoe into a slipper or even wear them to play flipping football and basketball. It just is what it is. This courtesy of Hypebeast, it says, after expanding his collaborative catalogue with Nike um, and the slide, Matthew Williams is now diving back into the footwear sphere, bringing more attention to his inline category with the 1017 Elite 9SM. This latest delivered from a contemporary label is the Mono Hiking Mule, which is just touched down. Both offerings here have started in the monocratic motive. The upper halves of the mules are formed with a breathable mesh. Tonal branding is embossed and silver hardware makes up on the eyelet. Both colorways are now available to purchase from the Elite's website for $467 for a pair of mules it's a bit tough man i wonder what the full trainer is worth is is retail that what what do you have to pay to get the rest of it i wonder what that is but yeah that's a lot of money for a mule for me to be honest but big up matthew williams big up a leaks you know i've got time for them man another thing i want to mention which i'm really happy about is one retro that i've been looking for for a long 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 time because i'm a big fan of that period of like nike crush training shoes from like the mid 80s to the mid 90s are these the nike mac attacks are back the ogs are back look at these loveliness and if you don't remember these these were basically um john McEnroe's pro model back in the day when he was playing tennis that's kind of a basically essentially it and at the time they were really kind of controversial and different because back in the day if you were playing tennis you were only really allowed to wear white shoes you weren't really allowed to wear anything quote-unquote colored so with, with these being mostly gray with black and whatnot they really kind of were striking on the field even though nowadays people are wearing pink shoes and whatnot and all this sort of non craziness like different color shoes on each foot this was a real kind of difference when you were kind of you know growing up at the times that John McEnroe was playing basketball, sorry, playing um, tennis at the time. So these are coming back and absolutely love them. And to me, again, they kind of remind me a little bit of um, 
Uh, they kind of a little bit remind me of uh, Air Trainer Ones, which again is one of my favorite shoes that I would definitely wear to want, want to wear to the gym. So these are definitely ones that I would definitely purchase as like kind of weird um, cross you know, cross-training gym shoes um, to, to wear because I'm not really a fan. As much as I have them now, I'm not really a fan of like low-cut gym shoes. I like them to be a bit mid. I like that kind of mid-shape, similar to like an Air Trainer one. And this sort of, of course, fills that category without looking too bulky. And of course, with them being tennis shoes, they're going to have good grip. They're going to be really comfortable and easy to wear, blah, 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 and nice breathability. So it says here, um, the comeback of this iteration marks the first time that Nike, the kicks have been ever seen in retro release. The high-profile model and the Nike family, such as the LeBron James and Travis Scott, spotted rocking the vintage pair back in 2021. Rumored to touch down during spring 2023, the Mac Attack OGs will be fashioned with original design cues. Its upper build is formed of mesh underlays and smooth leather overlays, both of which are treated with leather gray, sorry, with a lighter gray hue. Um, navy accents then um, infiltrate the swooshes and mesh and toe boxes and the tongues and device. Okay, cool. It's navy. Yeah, quick. I feel it was black. Enjoy the first look at the pair, the gallery below, and expect on release announce retail soon so retail hasn't been announced soon but sometime later this year we're going to get them you see the outsole here nice bit of tread there for the grip out there in the courts the only thing i'm kind of concerned about is the leather quality the leather looks a little bit cheap if you kind of zoom in so it doesn't look like the best leather in the world but again um just in terms of getting that model being able to buy one retro i'm definitely on it because it's really hard to find ogs of these especially cheap especially since travis scott wore them now they go up to crazy prices because he just basically put them on his feet which is fucking annoying but it's nice to see them coming back again so yeah mac attacks are due to coming back again one of my favorite shoes and i cannot wait for them to officially drop when they do Quickly changing tact a little bit, I want to quickly mention this. Really interesting article, courtesy of Resident Advisor, featuring a DJ that I really, really like called Nini H. And what she mentioned here regarding the music industry and just, you know, the money you do and don't make as an artist and stuff is like quite depressing. I'm not going to lie. So this is an article. It's really cool. It says here with the launch of her record label, Ume, um, the Turkish born techno artist commits to teaching emerging producers what not to do in the electronic music business. Right. So we continue here and roll down. And I think the bit I want to know here is somewhere around here. So uh, let's read it here. So it said, there's no official manual for navigating the music business. No wiki how to negotiate a DJ fee or find a booking agent. Though the Turkish-born Berlin DJ Nini H early shows might read as a somewhat aspirational CV, including performances at the Berlin Anatol, CTM, DJ Stingray, 313's Night, Trezor. Her memories of those years are not of a steady ascent to stardom. She says, I always felt like the corner girl. I hadn't found my people yet and i had no one to go to for advice this narrative may seem incongruous with some people with someone who's booked more than 150 gigs across five continents since playing her first Berkheim um, club night in july 2019 but nini h sees this micro misconception as an endemic issue there's not a, there's not a lot of transparency in the industry it's something that the dj is striving for to be more of and what's inspired the label what's inspired the launch of a new label and i think this is what i said earlier about the whole like um michael bibby thing right and how he kind of brought that guy under his wing and it's kind of, you know, helping him put his record out and just kind of putting him out there so he can kind of get more gigs, maybe get an agent and whatnot. We don't really see that too often. And it's cool. It's kind of interesting to know from somebody that legitimately is kind of like made it in industry that she didn't also feel like there was that support system or people you could kind of go to for help and advice or for a shoulder to cry on and ear to complain into. And now she's kind of trying to fix that issue. And I really want to know really why that is the case. Why is it? 
that in DJ world, it just doesn't seem to be an area where people either want to like freely give advice, freely help, um, or just be a resource. It just seems like people are just locked in doing what they're doing and just continue doing it that way. Which might explain why, as well, the genres are so segregated, the different scenes, right? Where there's no real kind of overlap between like tech house and techno kind of thing, or the house scene is definitely split up. Usually, oddly enough, in terms of culture and sometimes race and shit, like that may that might be the reason why a lot of it's like that. But it's really un it's really unfortunate. But let's continue. Nini H had committed to a life of music for almost 20 years before she played at Berkheim at age 11. Um, she joined the music industry, joined the music academy in the hometown of Izmir, and then went on to be a study piano at the Stuttgart State Conservatory. Having becoming a disenfranchised with the white elite confines of the Western classical genre, she eventually moved to Berlin in 2013 to pursue electronic music. The transition from music um, as a creative and academic endeavor to a viable career path was a difficult one, and the road paved with trial and error. It was a hustle. I jumped on way too many things that came my way because I didn't know any better, she said. Speaking candidly about her own experiences, uh, something Nini H views as vital to create more open and honest discussions about the nuances of navigating the industry. Over the course of her career, for example, Nini H told me, again, this is, this is the frightening bit about this. Over the course of her career, Nini H told me she's earned a grand total of zero cents in streaming revenue despite having racked up a discography of at least 40 tracks and more than 23,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. No, for real, she laughed. Nothing. That is scary. That is definitely scary. Someone as prominent and what I would say, you know, um, well-known, especially within my little niche of dance music and electronic music and whatnot. Um, maybe some of you guys probably don't know her. But in terms of my little niche of what I know, like she's definitely someone that I would say is well-known and definitely on her way for, you know, legit stardom. To be in a place where you don't make zero money from the music that you produce and that you have online streaming on these, living, you know, um, digital streaming platforms is legitimately insane. But it also is somewhat understandable because for whatever reason, there is a real big need for people in dance music to have their tracks signed to a well-known label. And I'm sure most of it has to do with just eyes on it and ears on your track. And obviously you want to be associated with a legendary record label and whatnot. That should be a good, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, Big Up Wade, that makes a lot of sense. I understand why people are like that. But I just feel like nowadays, especially with social media, especially with the internet, especially with all these tools um, where you can kind of essentially upload your own music to get shared and to get platformed on places like Apple Music and flipping Spotify and whatnot, a tune call, all these things going on. I just don't understand why people are rushing to sign to labels. If they're going to take the majority of your um, monies, if they're not going to pay you, especially in Nini H's case, where she, what she had that issue where she went through with possessions, where they essentially were withholding payment or not paying her at all like all those things could be avoided if you just kind of do it yourself but obviously the do-it-yourself part of things requires a lot of work and maybe if you're touring and you're out here doing all these different gigs different media obligations and whatnot there isn't the time to really kind of learn and do those kind of things but i feel like that's really the space or the kind of the thing that needs to kind of shift in the scene overall people just need to kind of figure out a solution where they can kind of just release stuff on their own legitimately because I remember reading an article recently where it said um, something like, I don't know, what it cost? I think it cost like, was it 128 streams to make like $1 or something? Something crazy like that, right? But I think even though that's really low conversion, 
it should be quite encouraging for people who are independent because it basically means if you do create a little following um, or garner a following of yourself online, you can essentially sustain yourself as an artist, making music just for the people that kind of like, like you and kind of mess with what you do. Of course, it'd be good to kind of get booked in places and kind of be able to go and tour because you can make more, maybe get sponsored by certain people, maybe get a label to put some money be you know, uh, behind an album or a project or whatnot, or just maybe give you a deal overall. But there is an avenue to actually make a living as a working musician or an artist now with these kind of tools. But obviously, you know, it requires a lot of work to do it on your own. But it's just crazy to think that she's racked zero cents, even though she's got all those flipping listeners. It's absolutely insane. It continues here. Despite the sales and streaming of the electronic music being valued at 1.3 billion, research from the International Music Summit suggests that only 1.2% of electronic music producers are earning a livable wage from it. <laughs> But again, I, I'm going to say the reason why this is because the majority of people are signed to labels, personally, production labels, management labels, record labels, like they're signed to somebody's always got their pocket, their hand in their pocket when it comes to musicians, always, very rarely are people doing stuff on their own, everyone's kind of, even even me with DJ stuff, you see people all the time with that got, you know, there's this thing that even I'm like, I want to do stuff on my own, but even I'm looking at it thinking, oh my God, I can't wait to get a booking agent because everybody that's a DJ has that thing in their bio, booking agent for Europe, for domestic, for international, different people and shit. It's quite, you know what I mean? It's, it, it's something that you kind of want to have as well because everybody that you kind of look up to has the same thing. But that's also somebody taking money, you know, out of your pocket. And then I'm sure those, rec those booking agents are probably linked to press. They're probably linked to labels. So there's this kind of circular thing, which is kind of essentially like a free deal where everybody's taking everything out of you in some way shape or form which is absolutely wild it continues of this 1.2 percent the fraction of producers who are female non-binary black poc queer or trans is unspecified but given that it will take an estimated 90 years to achieve a 50 50 parity between the males um and the female music producers alone and even longer to producers of color it's reasonable to assume that the number is pitiful it's just one of the ways that the industry's image of success varies from a real life manifestations to me that's where people lose me this sort of stuff like even though i look at it and i can sometimes be like you know, a good example being Fold, right? One of my favorite clubs here in London and a place I've been going to since it opened. There's not a lot of black DJs that play there overall, right? It doesn't matter to me. I don't give a fuck. Um, also, you know, I could say I should be playing there, right? Because I'm an up-and-coming DJ. I'm somebody that's been a fan of the place for ages. I live locally. I can maybe say, oh, yeah, because I'm black, I should be there also. But that's not how life works, right? You don't get given stuff based on your color and creed and where you're from. That really isn't how it should be going. And in general, when it comes to DJing, it's already difficult that is is it's super super difficult um especially if you don't produce or whatnot to make it anyway just in terms of getting from like i said it to somebody before like going from playing with the midi player or like messing around with virtual dj in your bedroom to suddenly playing in a massive festival or a massive club or going on a tour there's not really a route a direct route to take you from that to that it doesn't really exist in that regard you kind of have to kind of make up your own way whether it's kind of streaming online making a record joining a collective starting your own nights or maybe doing all of it at the same time there is no kind of one size fits all route to get there some people make it in two years some people make it 11 years 12 years 20 years never it's all kind of up there so if if all those things are already existing as hurdles or as kind of stumbling blocks and as struggles to kind of get there 
I think adding the extra bit on there of saying you have to be a particular color or creed, you have to represent a particular kind of community, you have to be a particular type of whatever, I just think that just adds unnecessary complexity to the issue that doesn't need to exist. If anything, all of this stuff should be more on the venues. This should be more on the booking agent. It shouldn't be on like, this should be more on them instead of them kind of following the trends and going by based on tickets. So this should be more on them to kind of have nights that kind of reflect, um, to, to kind of have, yeah, to kind of have um, lineups that reflect the people that go to their clubs. Like, you know, you go to some of these clubs. I always mention, um, I always mention, um, what's that thing called? I mentioned that, that flipping really corny EDM festival in Belgium is a good example. What's it called again? EDM uh festival in belgium what's it called i keep forgetting the name of it uh tomorrowland yeah tomorrowland's a good example i'll keep using tomorrowland as an example every year tomorrowland comes around there's these instagram pages that burst out from nowhere where they feature all these scantily clad girls really cute really hot girls in really tight lycra and spandex and leather and um whatever else harnesses and whatnot you know wearing kind of cute techno outfit whatever edm type of outfits going out there right and having a good time and some of them just go for the clout right they maybe just they maybe they might even be just only fan girls using those things as a place to kind of promote themselves but i think a lot of girls just go there to kind of you know it's quite fun to dress up and have some fun and you know and basically listen to the favorite djs that you like to kind of see i'm i'm pretty sure similar like i similar like me like every, most people out there when you start to dj you maybe went to a party for the first time, saw someone that you liked, someone that you didn't like, whatever it may be, and you felt inspired and you went to try it yourself. Um, that's how I did it. I'm pretty sure there are some of those girls who go to those festivals and think, wow, man, this person's amazing. I'd love to be him, right? I'd love to do that. And they feel inspired to also play and maybe, you know, book a session at Pirate Studios or buy a MIDI player so they can DJ. But when's the last time you've seen a Tomorrowland lineup that reflects the people that go to the festival? When have you seen like, you know, a real, um, you know, decent amount of women on those lineup in general that kind of look like they go to the festivals? It doesn't happen. It's just the same names every single year because those names sell tickets. Those names are the ones well known. So this issue, as much as it's important, it's also an issue that's kind of more so on the industry itself because they kind of by by default just pick the easiest thing and the easiest thing is obviously to you know put a festival on and obviously put a festival on with people that are well known so you can sell tickets and make the money back you invested that makes complete sense but there should be this there should be an understanding that over time especially with electronic music becoming as popular as it is now it's becoming legitimately mainstream dance music it definitely is mainstream now you could definitely say there's loads of quote-unquote normies that go to you know underground type events and have a good time i feel like the lineup should be reflecting of that it shouldn't just be like the same people every single year because especially nowadays festival lines are becoming so predictable you can basically guess you know you can basically say the same five to ten names and you could definitely find them across different festivals the different continents it's absolutely crazy so as much as this is important i feel like the main thing should just be like hey let's maybe be clear and maybe give people an idea as to how long and how actually hard it is to take to go from being a midi player person to playing in a festival and let's also put the onus on the clubs and the bookers and whatnot to kind of maybe you know think out of the box and book people a little bit different than usual but you know to say that this should be the the, the prerogative like hey it should be hard-coded that you should always have 50 percent this it's just it's just not it's just doesn't it's not sensible because there probably isn't enough, there probably isn't a matching amount of women DJs out there to match it 50-50 anyway. So by default, essentially you'll be raising up people based on their gender who maybe aren't as good as others just because of, you know, 
um, how they identify in terms of sex and whatnot, or gender. It just doesn't make sense to me in that regard. Um, but I do think the problem is kind of layered. But it continues. In the summer 2022, Nini Hish appeared to be thriving. She was playing at least 13 shows a month, three or four a weekend. But as she reached new heights of her career mentally, she hit some of the lowest. It was just too much. I've been through some very heavy personal stuff, but even in the most horrible moments, I've always been able to deliver. Her acclaimed debut album, Ali, um, a mesmeric exploration of grief made her father made after her father's death is testament to this fact during this intense period of touring she found herself frequently feeling faint and vomiting i didn't know what was happening i was going back and forth with the doctor but at some point i said to myself this is psychological my ground was shaking i was playing too much this is something you definitely need to hear from people to be fair this is this is the kind of um this is the kind of honesty that people need to hear when it comes to that kind of career because i think on one side even myself it's nice to see or it's kind of a, something you want to aspire to when you check out DJ on RA and you see the amount of dates they got in like, rah, man, I can't wait until that's me. But on the other side of things, to go from somebody that's kind of relatively unknown to suddenly going to being a touring person or you're in demand, everyone wants you to play at their place every weekend, you're, you're in one city one day, then maybe the same day you go to another city completely, it's going to take its toll on you, especially if you're not used to it. And it's good to kind of have this kind of um, honesty out there. Like, And even this line, I was playing too much because for, like, for someone like myself who hasn't played in a while, I'm thinking about it, I'm like, there is no such thing as too much. But obviously, if you go from not playing at all to suddenly playing 150 times in a year, it could definitely be too much. According to research carried out by the UK charity Help Musicians, Nini H experience is no anomaly. A staggering 65% of people working in music have experienced depression compared to the 15% of the wider population and around 70% of report anxiety and panic attacks. You have all these platforms pressuring you to deliver, she explained, and it's different from everybody. And I want to deliver different things. I want to be able to be creative. I just don't want to play. Together with her current booking agent, Nini H has found a sweet spot, a maximum of eight shows per month wow interesting that kind of goes back to what Dixon was doing right Dixon when he kind of was reaching the pinnacle of his success I think he's kind of changed his mind now because probably he's a dad and he's just kind of focused on making as much money as possible so he can you know support his family but when there was a time when he was kind of getting voted the top DJ of RA where he said he would kind of draw back his gigs I think he was like maximum like 100 gigs a year which is still a lot but I think for most people that were banging it out like the sort of Sex Truxler at the time and Jamie Jones when they were blowing they were doing plus 200 you know I mean even someone like a Solomon and stuff they were going crazy so the fact that Dixon even though he was in demand was purposely pulling back and holding back said a lot and for sure that may be added to his longevity that's probably why he's able to have this like second third fourth fifth wind in his career where he seems to just be getting a bit more popular I would say he's improving you know because I've seen him a lot of times and it's been a bit samey but he's definitely been garnering bigger audiences and crowds overall it's just becoming crazy and crazy maybe it's because of that early time in his career when he kind of could have taken advantage of the the ra best dj in the world kind of poll thing and kind of milked that he purposely sort of retract withdrew and kind of gone in himself and said no i'm going to restrict my gigs i'm going to protect my mental health i'm going to protect my creativity and all that malarkey so that later on i can kind of see the fruits of it and now that he's older he's able just to kind of press the button and go crazy when he wants to and then kind of relax and stuff because i'm sure a lot of djs like do that whole like august thing of going to like um is it bali and places like that in india to kind of you know decompress go to like a silent retreat no phone no whatever but obviously that can help as well it continues as her career was progressed having a team she can trust and communicate openly with has been vital for both her music and for her mental and physical health um it took four years and three booking agents for nini h to find the one 
Julia Plash. I feel like there was a lot of people behind my back, she said. Um, after playing live at Seoul in 2017, a seismic achievement that was permanently tarnished after overhearing a racist remark about her appearance. Sure. In Bergheim, you know? Crazy. <laughs> Holy shit. Imagine booking a, a set like this and then you're you're like on your highest high and then you hear somebody i don't know what referring to you as a kebab or something i don't know what people say over there man but imagine that that must have been horrible nini h has one specific goal to play on the main floor of Berghain, um but for some reason her agent had a different agenda i found out two months later that Berghain had requested me and the booking had been rejected wow this history became the the catalyst for ume um nini, well hold on so did they, i don't understand that her agent re rejected it why because they overheard the racism. Oh, racism, I don't know. Okay, I don't understand that bit. This history became a catus of Ume, Nini H's new non-profit record label venture, which launches on today on February 15th with Maktub, the de uh, debut release from Turkish-German artist Bashka. Convinced as a kind of personal pay-it-forward scheme with Nini H promising no new POC and female lesbian intersex trans and agender producers, her label will pay artists 100% of the profit from record sales alongside providing one-on-one -on -one support and guidance of marginalized artists i don't know how they're going to make money though but that's a fucking noble idea i think i mentioned it beforehand that's really amazing and as you know as um as layered and as kind of complex as this issue is in general in terms of representation and i feel like a lot of it you can't just kind of force it you know um whatever down people's throats and whatnot or just kind of make it a stipulation of people before they even start and not care about the skill or the ability or their talent or hard work and just kind of you know rely on these labels it is still good to see somebody doing it and putting their money where their mouth is. I think I mentioned it before. Like, Rago, like, let me let me try. Do you know what I mean? Even though it doesn't seem likely and whatever it may be and the, the cards are stacked against me, let me give it a go and see what happens. And because you know how this industry is. If this works, people are going to be copying it. Do you know what I mean? So it just is a, a case of just, of just kind of proving it, going into it with an optimistic mindset and hoping it kind of works out. It says here, I'm at a point in my career where I'm comfortable, she says, Nini H. I want to be there for other marginalized artists who face more issues. I'm not interested in taking 1,000 from an artist who needs it more than me, who has less access to the because who they are and where they are located, who maybe doesn't have a visa to travel gigs. I want to create a platform where people can actually have conversations with the label boss and not have their emails ignored for months. Why are things like that? That's mad, isn't it? Imagine you work all that time, slave over a record, you, you're spamming somebody's inbox you're tagging them in the flipping comments you're handing them flipping usbs after the gig you know they're not gonna listen to they finally listen to it they get you on board you're happy you're hyped and then now you're on the label you're signed you're actually signed to the label you're part of their artist roster you're a colleague you're a employee you're a whatever else in it whatever label it is and you send them an email you know just want to shoot the shit and ask a question and they ignore it the music industry is brutal man it's absolutely brutal <laughs> really is brutal like everything you hoped and dreamed for you get there and it's just kind of like it's completely different than what you expect it to be um uh, it continues there in a traditional label model artists deal with slim profit margins and delayed um play out to the record sales for the f f first the record has to break even nini has explained which means the vinyl is sold out with some additional digital sales on the side then i would say after the couple years of it might reach a couple of thousand euros such a return is then typically split 50 50 between the artist and the label but she said it could be three years it could be five so from you making the record to you actually getting money in your pocket for it is five years which is probably why people do i guess this is why 
probably records should be looked at as like business cards in it they're not really ways to make money they're just a way to kind of there's a there are business cards and cvs you do them to kind of show your work to show your ability or maybe like a portfolio and then you hope that portfolio gets your bookings to play places and then when you get played at booked at places that money is what you actually make but the idea of like you know making money from a hit record like how dare you as an artist slaving away in the studio expect to get paid for a hit record that you put out how dare you you have to wait <laughs> exactly so you have to hope you get booked but imagine if you're a producer that doesn't want to dj i'm sure they exist you have no interest in DJing. You don't even want to perform live. You just like to make exciting tracks, put them out on great labels um, and get them to the people and, and, and have them do what they want with them. Remixes, enjoy them, send you clips of them playing it, whatever it may be. But you have no interest in DJing. You basically have to DJ in order to kind of earn some money or you wait three or four, three to five years, up to you. In her experience, labels often view amounts of money as inconsequential. They don't ever bother paying out. This blatant disregard for and exploitation of artists that comes from ignoring their royalty requests is a situation that prompted Nini H's own public call-out position based, yeah, Paris-based, um, Paris, sorry, public call-out of Paris-based label position last year which we haven't seen them again actually since, to be honest, which is absolutely crazy. Um, Ume could be called the membership program, but it's a lot there. Anyway. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But yeah, big up Nini H regardless. The pictures are flipping awesome. Who took the pictures here? Uh, say the pictures? Does it say? Does it say? Photo credit. Um, Julian, who's that? Julian Tell. So big up um, Nini H for this. It looks really cool. I love everything about it. Um, what do you call it? Well, let's, see, let's read the last paragraph. It says, though... Um, through her accomplished body of work and unapologetic politics, Nini H not only demonstrates talent but true tenacity and aversion to bullshit. But if there's one thing she wants to put, for, no, she wants for up and coming artists is for them to not be like her. I sucked at making decisions. I don't want anyone else to lose as much as time as I did. I want all queer brown kids to be killing it. Wow, amazing. Love to hear it. Good message, very inspiring. Hopefully we see more of it going forward. And I think that's a Bashka person, right? Yep, so big up them also. Really cool article from RA. If you haven't already checked it out, check it. It says Nina H, her quest to equalize the music in the street. Really, really good article. I really enjoyed it. I can't lie. So moving on from that, I wanted to quickly message, just let me check this out and see this. Um, let me see what I can see here. I forgot what I was going to mention. I saw this, I saw that. We spoke about the knack and knack attack. Oh, let's speak about this. Yeah, cool. Let's speak about this quickly. So, Curse of Hypebeast. Fear of God Essentials reveals a contemporary spring 2023 collection. Fear of God Essentials. Man, I don't know what happened to Fear of God Essentials. I don't know why it happened or when it happened, but Fear of God Essentials went from like being like, just a couple of hoodies and t-shirts here and that people used to buy to being its own really fully fledged kind of subset of fear of god the main label so before when jerry lorenzo launched fear of god it felt like this like it was all one and i think after a period in time he started to realize that there was a divide between these customers there was a split there was a customer that wanted to buy his sort of like you know what you'd quote to be like ready to wear collection in terms of fear of god and those people that wanted just to buy the sweats and the comfy shorts and the hoodies and whatnot and the t-shirts and the bomber jackets that he made under the essentials label and for me personally this is a real credit to his ability to design because for the most part without with, with some exception most of it is monochromatic most of it is just colors right just real dull kind of like washed out colors and really the emphasis is put on the shapes but there's no prints there's no crazy patterns there's no crazy appliques um there's no you know 
flipping bedazzlements everywhere. He's just selling the strength of these sweats and these flipping comfy, you know, garments based on their shape and what they feel like and whatnot. And people are going crazy for them. And if anything, the funny part about it is what I think is really cool. Fear of God Essentials to me feels like um feels like the feels like the sub label, right? Or maybe the cheaper version of Fear of God. But when I see people wearing it, I see people wearing Fear of God Essentials t-shirts and hoodies to the club, like flexing it like it's mainline Fear of God. Do you know what I mean? That's the thing that's really cool about it. Even though it's meant to be the, the you know, the, the comfy, loungy, relaxed, maybe youth side of Fear of God. I've seen adults take that garment and really kind of lux it up by wearing it with pride and feeling like, yeah, this is the thing. And wearing it on the same level that you'd wear like a Balenciaga thing or whatnot, or a Gucci thing or whatnot, or Prada. That says a lot about his design and his ability to kind of put clothes together, man. Because it's really, really cool. Even though I wouldn't specifically wear it myself, I think that really does say a lot about him as a designer and how much he's kind of progressed over the years. And as you can see here, um, you know the sweatpants the shape of them is always absolutely smashing i love this uh, drop crotch which is basically his signature a little bit um and if i'm not mistaken this comes from rick owens which is quite cool to see him develop because i think the first bits of fear of god that i initially saw when he first launched it kind of felt a little bit copy copy you know copyish to me because a lot of it felt like it was influenced by early hedy slamena saint Laurent, and of course um rick owens but over time he has kind of you know made it his own so he took the drawstrings that you would know from you know rick owens pants that were usually always white and obviously made them to be tonal um he took the crotch pant the crotch the drop crotch sort of style on most of the pants that rick owens would do or shorts and kind of made it his own i'm sure he's got a particular shape that he likes and even just the shape of the leg the you know he used to always like the kind of uh, that banana style leg where it was kind of like big at the top kind of went down skinny to the bottom had that kind of wide cut on it but just the look of it the stack of it is really really done well like i'm a real big fan of what he does honestly with this type of stuff um like i said because it's you know it's essentially all sweats but he's able to kind of lux it and make it look really really premium and you know even this stuff he's got looking here it looks amazing it's kind of like a, the lookbook here looks like kind of like 80s type style with these really great amazing pop socks on the feet of the girls you've got these amazing skirt type of sweatpant looking thing which i'm sure a lot of dudes will end up wearing also this nice sort of like what looks to me to be like kind of active wear looking stuff but yeah all of it looks amazing the colors are always great the pictures are great this model for fear of god always smashes it i forgot his name he's got a kid he's always on social he's really cool it all looks really great with the socks going over the trainers it's definitely giving 80s but yeah people are saying yeah wade harris yeah saying fear of god vans yeah definitely fear of god vans were pretty sick but yeah he does a really really amazing job with fear of god um essentials i think jerry lorenzo and it goes without saying like i think this is kind of it, it doesn't get the credit it deserves because maybe it's you know a lot of kids wear it especially in the hood from where i am at a lot of it maybe isn't real but it doesn't matter it still gets the brand out there but i do think this goes this gets this is underrated what he's able to do like even this pant this pan is crazy. It's like a looks like a a brushed or like a cotton mix or something with these amazing drawstrings, nice and loose. The shape of it is absolutely banging. And I like the fact that the model is wearing these ballet, these ballet pumps on them. Like the mix between the ballet pumps with the sweats with the hoodie is so, so good. I love everything about it to be fair. The ballet flats with the pumps on it. It looks really cool. Nice t-shirt, the styling, the layering is always great um this he's done really well again i'm not really a fan of the sleeveless hoodie but i think he's definitely i feel like pioneered whatever this cut and this shape is of this um what you call i guess like a it's, it's like a short sleeve sweat top 
but then it's also got a long sleeve stitched on underneath. I'd imagine it is. Um, that's how usually. And I like that um, thing because I, I see that and I immediately think of fear of God or I see like a stripe at the side of a trouser. I think fear of God. So it's definitely some easy, real cool design little clothes that he's done. And again, most of it is just like, you know, what you'd call to see quintessential kind of sweat colours that he's been able to kind of make his own. I really, really like the look of that. Even the logo here on the socks being at the front, that's really cool. These really long socks that you could wear with like high tops or Jordans or whatnot, or even Rick Owens, and you can kind of put them on and have the label there. It kind of gives you a little bit of a panache going there. But yeah, everything about this I absolutely love. I actually love how it sits, how it looks. And over time, I've, I've seen Fear of God basically everywhere, especially the essential stuff, everywhere, literally everywhere. This look here, number 20, oof. It's absolutely powerful. I love this. This kind of like um, dusty, dark green type of color looks really nice. Um, I love the tonal look on the logo without it being too crazy. The essentials written on there looks really nice. Um, nice bag as well. Again, the styling is always great. I wonder if he works with a stylist or it's just all Jay Lorenzo doing it. Because these all do look like Jay Lorenzo fits. That's what I like about it also. It looks like stuff that he would actually wear. Like this look is absolutely powerful. With the, with the what's it, what do you call it? Like a quarter zip um, zip jacket. It looks like a puffer with a sweat underneath. And the cut on those pants. The drawstring, how that sits is great. Nice big pockets. Nice long drawstring. You could probably tighten the hems at the bottom also. All of it looks absolutely beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. I love every every little thing about it. To be fair, it looks really good. Oh, this blue outfit's really nice too. This oversized. Oh, I like this look. This kind of reminds me of. Um, unfortunately, like an idiot, I lost mine. But I had this Balenciaga padded overshirt. Um, that you know a lot of people kind of had at the time. It was blue check, and I've been left at a rave somewhere. But it reminds me of the same sort of cut. It's got probably invincible pockets on here. Um, and it's kind of oversized, but then. Instead of having uh, buttons, which the Balenciaga one I had have, this one has a zip, which I kind of like the look of, to be fair. And it looks like it might be, is it corduroy? It might be corduroy, actually. Looking at it, it might be corduroy. That's really nice. And it's sort of like a washed out blue color with the same color of the pants. But yeah, I'd, I'd wear the hell out of that look, to be fair. That's definitely one of my favorite looks of the whole collection. I'd wear the hell out of this from head to toe. No doubt about it. And of course, you've got the other ones well with the women's looks also. That look really nice. This bag is awesome massive strap on there what well, is like a suede bag really lovely the color combination is really cool here with the yellow with the blue with that sort of what would you call that magenta purple red burgundy sort of color the styling tip there with the sweatpants on top of another pair of sweatpants pulled up it's absolutely banging also everything about this is good got some kids featured in there good crop tops that that puffer jacket thing this is probably gonna be very popular we're definitely going to be seeing this on the on the on the on the city street somewhere near you very soon that jacket looks really really cool i love the look of that nice spring jacket those pants they look really nice also so yeah big up big up big up jay lorenzo and fear god essentials let's go to the article here it says on um, on a spring color palette the collection includes a mixture of fear of god signatures and new silhouettes those that um, look familiar are made of new fresh tones and ever so slightly um, reimagined silhouettes while never before seen styles push the brand further into the modern category made with um considering textiles not only is it composition but it's very it's, vers it's versatility too 
um, among the range of shirts trench coats polo shirts are crafted of myriad of fabrics included thick waffle woven nylon milano stitch and corduroy as i said meanwhile wash denim trucker jackets oh nice all that was pair well with classic jeans and tones the cash of the first delivery will be arriving on march 8th or the second delivery on april the 5th items will be available to purchase in men's women's and kids sizes check out for essentials in the gallery above so yeah coming to you very 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 soon but i like it i wouldn't be surprised if if somewhere you know he probably would never say because you know it's none of our business but it wouldn't surprise me if fear of god essentials probably ends up doing more business revenue wise than mainline fear of god it wouldn't surprise me because legitimately i see it worn everywhere literally everywhere you see it worn especially when it comes to like young kids or quote-unquote urban communities like myself you definitely see it everywhere so yeah big up jerry lorenzo absolutely smashing you out there big up big up jerry lorenzo so um i think that may be it for now i can't think of anything else i need to quickly check on here let me just see if i just forgot anything on my list of topics here but i think that may be it i was speaking on most of it duh, duh, duh. yeah i think i've spoken on most of the stuff i want to speak on here and i'll probably have to leave the rest of it for another time but yeah that has been the agassiz zinger show episode number 652 i think it's 652 hope you've had a good time here with me hope you've enjoyed the show and whatnot and you've enjoyed the things i'm speaking about on here if you have enjoyed it then make sure if you're watching this video that you smash that like button down below if you are listening to the audio version of the show make sure that you share it that'd be greatly appreciated and of course if you want more information regarding myself you can find it all in description wherever you're listening to on a podcast platform on a video you'll see all my info that you need from me in the description there and you can click it and contact me whenever you wish and i'll be here ready and willing to answer all your lovely questions but again as per usual thank you so much for joining me it's a real pleasure to share some of my interest and some of my whatever it may be with some of you guys out there hopefully you have enjoyed it if you listen to the audio podcast you will definitely hear my tune of the day coming in underneath as i'm speaking if you listen to watching the video you won't hear anything it'll just fade to black and i'll see you guys again very very soon take care and be safe everybody peace
We were born to die